Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Rebecca Lawrence and this is Voices. In this set of interviews, I will be focusing on issues of inclusion, diversity and allyship through intimate conversations with wine industry professionals from all over the globe. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps us cover equipment, production and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast with me, Rebecca Lawrence. Today on Voices, we've got a great episode for you as I'm talking to Jirka Gire. First of all, Jirka, welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. Uh, so I like to start these interviews quite often by asking my guest to uh, introduce themselves to our listeners. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing in the world of wine. Excellent. So I am Jirka Gire. I am a wine professional based in Oakland, California. I work at a natural wine shop called Ordinaire here, and I also have my hands in a little bit of everything. I made a little bit of wine in 2020, and our biggest project has been Industry Sessions, which is a online series of sessions over natural wine, and we like to discuss different regions around the world that don't get a lot of attention, so a lot of underrepresented regions. We are in 13 cities, including one in Toronto, and it's been super exciting. We turn a year old on June 21st, and all the connections that are being made through the sessions are really starting to show fruit. I really want to dive into that uh, a little bit later in our podcast because uh, I've been really uh, energized by industry sessions and what you guys have been doing. And everyone that I talk to tells me that I should, uh, I should talk to you. <laughs> um, but first of all, like, how did your passion for the world of wine begin? Did you start straight off in wine and hospitality? Did you dabble in other things first? Let's set the scene. So my love for wine was actually born in New York City. I always say that wine followed and chased me down. I definitely was trying to do other things with my life. I was doing a little bit of work in the music world in New York City, and I had a part-time job at a fine dining restaurant in Manhattan, where there was an incredible wine director named Jared Roth, who made a deep effort to have everyone be included when it came to tasting wine. It didn't matter if you were a food runner, the coffee barista or the head bartender, everyone came together to taste wine and to blind and to discuss what was happening in the glass. And it's not something that you see at every restaurant. Um, a lot of the times it's maybe only, maybe it's only the captains that are focused on, but in this restaurant, it was every single person. And that made a huge impact for me. It was also a restaurant in New York that had an urban garden so one thing that he directed us all to do was to really like spend time in the garden, smelling everything, go into the kitchen, touch and smell, like smell rocks when you see them, go to the farmer's market. Like he really encouraged us. And I, I just did it to explore and to be creative. And it just turned into this whole whirlwind of finding, finding different journeys in all the different wines that I was tasting, taking me all over the world. 
it sounds like it's taken you you pretty far in terms of what you're doing now because you, like you touched on your you've also made wine mm-hmm, yeah tell us a little bit about your experience making wine because it's not something that I've had the opportunity to do yet but a couple of my friends have been dabbling in it and I'm super interested I think it's so important to try to even you don't necessarily need to do a whole harvest but to just go to a winery or a vineyard during harvest and see the process like the process from grape to glass is beautiful and it really starts to connect the dots in ways that you're not going to understand from just reading it on a page um for me i came out to california in 2018 to do my first harvest and you know new york is a big is a big sommelier world and it's very disconnected when it comes to like what's happening on the ground and what's happening um with the labor what's happening with the different grapes that come in what is it like when the crop isn't good or a pick is bad you know all those little details you start to really understand what decisions winemakers are making when you're tasting as well and i feel like for me it just came full circle and my understanding just blossomed Um, So much so that when I did make my first couple of wines in 2020, I I learned so much because I knew exactly what I did wrong. I knew what things I did right. I made uh, wine without any sulfur, which is a whole nother ballgame. You really have to be like intent and focused on what you're doing because it's just a different you're painting with a different brush. So so, yeah, it's been really rewarding for me. And I can't stress like even if it's for a weekend like start checking out what's happening in the vines closest to you like start tasting unfermented grape juice it it just makes everything come together so much more beautifully in your mind talking about you saying working without sulfur which is incredibly uh different to uh some traditional winemaking that um and it puts you in a different mindset i think Um, You are passionate about natural wines. And I wondered if there was something that in particular that sparked this, this interest for you, if there was a kind of aha moment that led you to natural wines in particular. For me, discovering natural wines in New York City, uh, almost by accident, uh, it was more of a kind of a poetic stance at the beginning, you know, working without any additives or chemicals in the farming and, you know, letting the grape just show itself through the fermentations was just very like poetic to me at first. Uh, But then, you know, once you got to see farms and see fermentation processes, it really comes together. Like if you take care of the land, then the grapes will give you a good wine. And I truly do believe in that. There's just too much going on when it comes to like the chemicals that are going into the ground that are killing the ground. Like there's like Roundup and glyphosate and glyphosate's been proven to be a carcinogen. It causes cancers, autoimmune diseases, autism. It's banned in so many countries, but not in the United States yet. Um, And it's poison. So I truly believe that the natural wine movement is more about getting rid of global warming and actually trying to heal and regenerate vines than it is about having a conversation about how much sulfur is in your glass. It's more about the farming. I really like that idea of, of healing and regeneration. 
seeing it in that light rather than seeing it as a, oh, it's about the sulfur. Absolutely. I mean, that's the real conversation. We are seeing, we are seeing what has happened in this year alone. Like California is on fire every year now. And the frost that just happened in, in France, like they decimated like what they're going to be able to make in 2021. And that's not going away. And that's all because of how we've treated the earth and how much poison we've put into the ground to get rid of the nutrients and get rid of the biosphere and not be able to have a healthy plant life and a healthy animal life. All those things matter. Yeah, we can't kind of keep hiding our heads in the sand anymore. We really need to address this immediately and directly with how we are farming, how we're approaching agriculture, and wine is a huge part of agriculture. Absolutely. Wine is agriculture. On this theme of actually healing and regeneration, uh, I was quite interested recently, uh, I read one of your interviews, and you were talking about criticisms of traditional wine education, and that it's unwelcoming to the BIPOC community, and that this makes people internalize a certain type of thinking. Uh, and as a wine educator who is constantly trying to improve my understanding of how I should interact in a classroom and, and you know, maybe the inherent uh, biases that I have, the things that I'm using in the classroom that maybe are incredibly negative and I don't realize, I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about this and, and maybe if you have advice or things to be considering for people who are educators and just generally working in the industry. Absolutely. Well, when it comes to standardized testing as a whole, it's not just that it doesn't include or welcome BIPOC. It doesn't include or welcome LGBTQ. It doesn't include or welcome people who maybe um, don't have a certain social status in life and therefore don't have the money to get like certain tutoring or certain... Uh, testing and certain traveling in their lives. So it's not just a thing about, it's not just about BIPOC, it's also like a classism thing. So we have to think about all these things, right? Because we want to treat everyone with human dignity and respect. And a lot of these standardized tests were made in the UK by groups of older British men. And, you know, I've heard whisperings and, you know, different people are telling me here and there that the different groups are starting to like do the research to try to diversify how they talk about wine. But, you know, it hasn't happened yet in a strong enough way. Um, and I hope, hope, hope that it does like come to that and that a serious shift happens. There's already a shift happening in wine that's super apparent. But once we get those standardized tests to shift as well, like that's going to be a huge impact because then every educator is going to be held to that standard to be open to people's palates. We all have different upbringings. We all have, you know, different things that we believe in as well. So I just think it really stifles creativity and natural wine isn't even, even a concept in any of the like standardized tests or the books. Like you don't, you don't read about it. I remember being in a W set class and uh, the instructor just said, well, natural wine is something that's here to stay. And that's the only thing they said about natural wine for the whole course. And it's just really silly to me because for the United States alone, like there are several shops that have opened just in this year. The There's wine clubs everywhere. New winemakers are popping up. More and more people are regenerating land. So 
yeah, it's really silly to me that it's just not addressed at all. And I think as long as instructors are not just dialed into memorizing what's in the book and on the, on the page and actually talking about what's happening now, then we can actually get somewhere. And that's where industry sessions is really special because not only are we talking about natural wine, we're also like diving back into history and doing a bit of revisionist history and seeing where um, marginalized people are also part of the story of wine because wine does not just belong to white people. Like it belongs to everyone. Every, almost There's wine regions all over the world. Um, so revising history and placing us in the story of wine is one part. And then the other part is what's happening in wine today, right now, boots on the ground. What are, what is happening in wine regions as we speak? I think that really touches on several issues that I have with traditional wine education. Um, and I, I am a WSET educator, but I really struggle with the lack of cultural background uh, the lack of ability to comment on sometimes the privileged view that textbooks take uh, and the very kind of white gaze that textbooks take. And also the problem with this idea of a quote unquote systematic approach to tasting. I understand it's about trying to communicate to people, but my experience of food and flavor is very different to somebody else's. And so I shouldn't be telling you, like, this is what I find in the glass and therefore you can't find something else or you can't use your own flavor references. And I'm really hoping that there's going to be an overhaul in the language that we use, not just in teaching wine, but teaching about tasting wine. Um, and actually, it was Jade Marley. I was speaking with her on the podcast recently about the language we use and the flavor references we use. And she was one of the people who said, you really need to check out industry sessions and direct your students to it um, and, and give them this broader context. And also, like you said, this revisionist history, this looking back at the past and maybe seeing what's missing from traditional wine education and then giving that immediate up to date. So tell us a little bit more about what industry sessions has been doing this year and, and what response it's had. So we started a year ago and... You know, it was during the pandemic, which we are still in a pandemic. Um, but it was at the maybe the first season of the pandemic, we can say. And it was right after George Floyd, maybe two or three weeks. Um, I got together with James Sly, who is a wine educator in New York City, and I just pitched him this idea, and he was on board. And as I discussed it with more and more friends in the wine industry, they were also like, "Hey, I can get those wines in my city as well." And thus it was born. So we ended up having our first session with just people all over the United States. And it was truly beautiful. You would see all these different different walks of life, all these different faces, all different skin tones popping up on the Zoom screen. And it would make you emotional. I think all of us were, you know, working in our wine shops or restaurants or, you know, wineries and you know, you are working and grinding and you don't really pull your head up because you're just trying to make it to the next level. And you don't really look, you didn't really have the chance to look around and see if there was anybody else out there that looked like you or that you could connect with, with a similar background. But opening that room up and seeing all those people, you didn't feel alone anymore. And I've heard that description of the sessions time and time again from different facilitators and speakers that we've had. Um, and it's really 
created an impact because there have been so many barriers and gatekeeping and mystification of how do you get to become a winemaker? How do you become a sommelier? It's very, very hard. There's so many different keys and you have to, you have to find them and there's only like five keys. So just getting rid of that idea and just saying, here's the information it's available to you. I am available to you as a resource and really having every facilitator and speaker that comes to the industry sessions have that same willingness to be a resource and a connection for every student that attends. And there's been so many like beautiful relationships that have blossomed just like naturally, organically, just, I see people finding mentors. I see people finding jobs, getting placed into jobs or, you know, moving cross country to do their first wine harvest. And now they like see a pathway to become a winemaker, different things like that, that, you know, we've taken, many of us have taken for granted, I guess. And now there's a through now there's a network and networking is everything. It's all who, you know, right. So to give people a community and a space to find a network and to find people that do want to help them and aren't going to, make it harder and mystify it even more. That's very powerful. That's something I didn't have when I was coming up in wine. Yeah. It's, it's so powerful. That word community is really something that I've felt coming through industry sessions. This, this open community with no barriers that is so willing to be a resource and an aid and just be, even if it's just like a shoulder to lean on sometimes. Absolutely. And another thing that I've really enjoyed about it is that you tend to cover lesser known wine regions. Is there one in particular that maybe has attracted the most interest or, or one that you in particular have enjoyed the most? It must be difficult to pick one, I'm sure. But. I mean, the one for me that stands out that was all, also the most difficult to pull off was when we did our Western Georgia wine class and we did a, we did the whole thing. We had food pairings for everyone in their city and everybody had wine and James was the tomato and we had we did the whole Georgian feast. We did the whole Supra during the class and we had several speakers. So we fashioned the class as a Supra and it was just like so inspiring and so beautiful and everybody was just really into it. And I was just on the phone with Georgian grandmothers all over the country. <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure out like how to get food and how to like communicate with these like mom and pop restaurants. Um, but it was really beautiful. And um, yeah, I would say that was probably my favorite one. So amazing. <laughs> so of course, this is the Italian wine podcast. So I, I can't leave it too long without asking about Italian wine. Uh, and I wondered if there is a, a favorite wine or region from Italy that you think doesn't get enough attention and, and maybe should be brought to the fore a little bit. You know, I have been really obsessed with not, as, I wouldn't say maybe a region, but maybe a person within a region. I've really been obsessed with Mirta Zirok at Foradori and the farming that she's doing right now that I think is revolutionary. I've did a little interview with her and wrote an article about her. And our next interest industry sessions is actually about Alto Adige. Um, but just to sing my praises of Mirta, she, you know, studied 
farming in Oregon and in Quebec, market farming, and came back home in 2019 and started planting food between the rows. And she basically has honed in the skill of how to really make one hectare of land be super prosperous. And for me, I think when I think of, I think of natural wine, I think about climate change, but I also think about food justice. And I think about how so many people don't have nutrient dense food on their plates or access to it. A lot of marginalized people, when it comes to like classism, you know, a lot of people in lower classes, there's not even a a market they can go to. And if they go to it, it's going to be that super roundup sprayed, no nutrient dead um, vegetables and fruits that they're going to find, you know? Um, So they're just like not getting what they need to even have a healthy lifestyle. But when I see what Mirta's doing and I see how she's taking the land and staying in its rhythm and keeping it healthy and finding a way to produce so many beautiful vegetables and fruits and starting this market gardening and bringing attention to it so that other winemakers throughout Italy are also like, how did you do this? I want to learn from you. I think that's incredible. And if that can spread all over the world, like imagine the change that could come. Yeah, it really encompasses the success of taking um, that kind of approach and getting the best from your land by not messing with it, by looking after it and how productive it can be and how prosperous it can be and how delicious the wines are. You know, this is genuinely delicious food, drink in an amazing ecosystem. And yeah, working biodynamically. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I'm so glad that's such a great choice. <laughs> I love her stuff. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm obsessed. I just think it's incredible. Um, and she was saying that she just started working with a cohort of 40 winemakers, and they just started doing biodynamic theory, and they all want to market garden. And that's that's I don't know. To me, it just makes me very excited. Yeah, that's huge for the industry. Like you've got 40 winemakers that are now embracing this approach and that might be 80 next year and then 100 the year after and just spreading. And the impact that could have on both the industry but also like just the earth. Yeah, and that's just the impact that one person can have. You know, one passionate person can stand up for something they believe in, put the work in and people see that it gives results, you know, so it trickles, it ripples. And and that's how we change the world. (laughs) And she's a a young woman, you know? So yeah, I'm very inspired. And that that's a perfect segue Yuka into speaking of passionate, inspiring women, what's next for you? What's the next thing on the horizon? Man, what's next for me? Well, we're kicking off our next round of industry sessions, which um, we're going to talk about Alto Adige. And we're going to kind of, we like to be a little like creative and silly. We don't always just keep it to like grapes. So we're going to do a rice wine fermentations class. And then I think we're going to do perhaps some spirits classes as well, just to mix it up because it's kind of hard to ship wine when it's really hot in the States. So we try to like mix it up with other spirits. Um, And then, you know, just prepping for harvest. I I kind of have an idea of what I want to do. Uh, and I also am just like so ready to travel. 
<laughs> I really just want to get out. I really want to just, you know, I want to come to Italy. I want to go to Mexico. Their harvest starts July 15th. So I'm planning to go to Mexico for a little bit and kind of just explore and see what's out there winemaking wise. Um, but yeah, I'm just itching to travel and write. I just want to write and travel. Sounds ideal. <laughs> Yoga, thank you so much for joining me on the Italian Wine Podcast today. Where can our listeners find you online or social media? And where can they find industry sessions? So you can find me at Yerkita on Instagram. That's Y-I-R-K-I-T-A. And then if you're looking for industry sessions, you can find us on Instagram as well. And that's Industry Sessions. I really encourage anyone listening to check out Industry Sessions. It's been an incredibly inspiring thing to see happen in the industry. It's just, it's so fantastic. Go check it out. Uh, thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow us on social media, subscribe, and of course, donate on the website to make sure we can keep these great conversations flowing. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.